It's Jacek. I want to let you know that I just launched a new course. It's all about learning to build REST API with Pedestal Framework. I hope you'll check it out. Just go to learnpedestal.com. So today we're talking to Furkan. Hi, Furkan. Yeah. Hello. Great to have you back. You were before on the podcast talking about Polylith, but today we're not yes. going to talk about, or maybe we will talk about a bit Polylith, but uh, we're going to talk about your company. You're a CTO at Scrintle. Um, yes. So where do we start with Scrintle? Right. So yeah, thanks for having me again here. Uh, and definitely, I think we're going to talk about Polylith because I can't <laughs> stop talking about it. <laughs> but let's let's kick off with, with uh, a little bit, talking a little bit about Scrintle. So uh, I'm CTO of Scrintle at the moment, mm -hmm. a startup uh, I co-founded based in Stockholm, Sweden. Mm -hmm. And Scrintle, what we are building is a web application that combines mind mapping and networked mm -hmm. note taking. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think like Miro or Whimsical, so we have a canvas, white white canvas like them, them but then mm -hmm. the nodes on that canvas are uh, Roam research or Obsidian-like uh, rich text documents. So mm -hmm. you can link them and then create your own uh, graph basically. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, and of course, the reason why we're talking about this is because the whole thing is closure, right? So it's full stack yes. closure, closure script on the front end, which is very exciting. Yeah, yeah uh, ex exclusively closure. <laughs> exclusively yeah. closure. And I believe on the wire you have Eden. And yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, how about we just... Uh, let's just start to dive into the screen tell itself. Like, why did you... Um, is this a good part? Why did you even start it? Yeah, yeah, we can start from there. So, like, I can I can also tell maybe like uh, why do we do such a company? Like, um, right. what is the what is the problem we are solving? Right. Uh, and I think that is basically uh, there is no tool to cover the whole knowledge creation process. If you think about it, like. Uh, we use these visual tools in the ideation phase, then we move from mm -hmm. them to more like, I don't know, maybe project management tools to, to manage that process. And then finally, we create um, structured documents to, mm -hmm. to maybe publish or share the knowledge easily. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is no one tool that can help you from go from the idea to the shareable information. And that's why we mm -hmm. started this company. And what, like, what was the moment that you actually decided to start a company? You were working at, I guess, uh, I don't remember, House of Radon, or is that the correct name? Yes, yeah, that's correct. And you were a technical lead there. And what was the moment for you to say, you know what, let's just start, you know, like you have your own startup. How's the thought process mm. for a person just, you know, taking the leap, if you will? Mm. I think I had that urge in me uh, all the time, like, wanted to start my own company at some point mm -hmm. uh, but I guess like this coronavirus crisis uh, mm -hmm. helped uh, helped me to push me into that a little bit mm -hmm. so when we were locked uh, us locked us up in our apartment with my my partner Edge um, mm -hmm. we basically um, we were talking about one of her ideas, uh, like if we can build a software product around it. So actually, like we started the company in May 2020, 
and still like a hobby project on on our we 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 work, worked on it on our spare time uh but yeah it's basically just being at home doing nothing helped us uh start our own company right and i guess at this time you're already sold on closure right so you knew you're going to do this in closure mm. yeah can we just go to this moment like what was what was the part for closure that clicked for you that you felt like yeah i just want to build everything else in it uh that's a good question i think it's um like uh i think it was in 2016 uh or maybe early 2017 when i when james first uh introduced closure to me uh there was mm-hmm. time i was like yeah this uh like weird language you know like everyone has that feeling yeah, like a lot sure. of parentheses etc uh but then like okay. i don't know like i spent one or two weeks with it and then going through all the brave closure uh for brave and true what what, what was the name right. yeah. something like that yes um, so closure for the brave and true by uh daniel Higobutton. yeah yeah yeah, so I went through that, and I, I quite enjoyed solving the problems there, etc. And then uh, there we jo- Joachim joined our team as well uh, at that company, and then mm-hmm. we started suddenly writing everything in Closure. Uh, and mm-hmm. then since then, I've been writing Closure uh, for every project that I can decide the language, basically. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and um, now it's much easier since you're a CTO, right? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So how, what do you use on the backend? Like, what, what's uh, what? So you have closure as a language. Uh, what else is there? So I can maybe because there's a, there's a nice twist. I can start with like what we built uh, at the mm-hmm. first place in 2020. Um, yeah. Like we had this uh, Edge had this idea of like creating a transcription platform because she was mm-hmm. doing a lot of interviews uh, during her PhD with like a lot of UN officials and then mm-hmm. she had hard time to transcribe them and analyze the data etc so she was mm-hmm. asking me is there an easy way so uh, we started building that as a hobby project and the backend mm-hmm. was in closure uh, of course and I used polylith uh, from the get-go uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess it was the older version of Polylith in the beginning and then mm-hmm. uh, I was one of the first to try the new version with the tools depths mm-hmm. um, and then I used Datomic as the main database and opted in for Datomic Ions that was also in the early uh, stages mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to, to de- deploy and manage the entire system it was super easy for me to yeah, get going Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, so this is the the backend part. So, and how mm-hmm. how would you communicate like the backend to the frontend? So Did it's you have just any kind be... of architecture that you came up with. Is... Yeah, yeah, it was a REST API. Mm-hmm. So the system was like this. So um, the the frontend talks to backend through the REST API, and then most of the things that backend do are quite. Uh, there are processes that take quite long time because like you need to upload a big file and then you need to tr- transcode it to proper format and then after that you need to feed it into the transcription service 
take the result from transcription service and then convert it to something that is like readable by the users, readable and editable. So uh, the most of the architecture was around like implementing that state machine, like from the upload until the transcription is ready. And there were like so many AWS services that we were gluing together. Uh, and like I had, the architecture was more like I had a bunch of uh, Polet components, maybe 50 of them. And like they do like very small, I don't know, one component is just talking to S3. One component is just talking to transcoding service, etc. Uh, very clear interfaces, and then uh, then basically it was two two services. One is providing the REST API to the front end, and the other one is more like batch processing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the front end then communicating via this REST API. Uh, that was in JavaScript. Yeah, uh, I, I remember talk. You asked me about it, and then I told you it was JavaScript, and then you, uh, you were like, "Shame on you! How can you use?" <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So why did you uh, decided to go with JavaScript as a, as the first part? Uh, that wasn't, I guess, an easy choice because I had so much fun with backend, and I wanted to like do this closure and uh, polylit uh, project, but frontend needs to be done as well. And uh, I didn't have a good experience with Closure Script back in 2017 when we tried to use it. Um, I guess the tooling wasn't good back then, and we had so many issues with like using existing JavaScript uh, dependencies, etc. So, and then also I I was leading the team where we were developing most front end projects for clients and all of them were in JavaScript. So I was very comfortable with JavaScript. So I just said, yeah, there is one challenge that I need to overcome. Let's not put another challenge. I'm just alone working on my like spare time. So that's why I chose JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the first version of the tool. You mentioned this was like a, a transcription service. Uh, yes. Uh, but you changed, right? Uh, you moved to uh, something else. Yeah. So, yeah, we pivoted it quite heavily, actually. Um, like, we, I think we became full-time employees uh, in April 2021. And mm-hmm. when that happened, like, the product we were discussing was so much different than the transcription tool. So, because mm-hmm. during that time, we saw, like, two main problems with that product. One is... Not all researchers use interviews as their research method, so it's a very small fraction. And two is like the tr- the, the transcription uh, need is more like a periodical thing. Like if a researcher does interviews, they do it like maybe for one or two months, and then the rest of the year they just analyze that and then write their articles. And maybe next year they can do it again. So it's very unpredictable business model. It's not a regularly used product. It's more like sparsely used. And so we just tried to address those problems, talk to a lot of people. And then at some point we were going for a full-fetched research platform where transcription can be just a feature. 
but then in the end, uh, we figured it out. Like the problem that we wanted to solve was actually creating and sharing knowledge rather than just focusing on research. So knowledge in more like generic terms, like anyone right. can create it. Mm-hmm. And at this time, you are already full-time employees in the company? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, was it difficult to like pivot and pitch this whole idea, I don't know, to the investors and stuff like this? Yeah, I th- <laughs> yes and no, I would say, because like the, the, the idea we pitched to investors was actually that research platform that had transcription as one idea. So mm-hmm. we got the investment with that pitch. But then, mm-hmm. I don't know, the one month after uh, we got the investment, it was more like, uh, guys, we need to do something else. I see. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess they, they don't uh, look at the ideas much more like uh, what you're capable of. Right, I see. So, cool. And you know. how does this pivot affect the code base then? Mm. Yeah, that is a really good question because, yeah, we're building a different product. So, and then we have this whole back end and front end. What happened to that? Uh, yeah, I think big chunk of backend we were able to reuse it thanks to Polylit because all of those components that we had uh, in the code base they are doing just one thing like I don't know upload file to S3 or like take the file from there and then do this and that or do authorization so we can reuse them easily. So, um, yeah, right. For I anyone, might be, but yeah. yeah, for anyone not familiar with Polylith, it's an architecture how you can write your apps. It's not like a framework, but it's some kind of opinionated, opinionated way mm-hmm. how you can structure your code. And there is a, a, a two episodes that we recorded. Furkan was also there. There was Joachim and also mm-hmm. James. Uh, this was se- season four, episode twenty-one and twenty-two. So if you want to mm-hmm. take a deep dive into Polylith, uh, it's at your disposal. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and like there, there are a lot of uh, documentation that right. Joachim wrote. So right. anyone yeah. wants I to learn it's more, a great yeah. set of materials that you guys put in, not only into the framework mm-hmm. or the, not the framework, the architecture, but also the supporting documentation and of course the Polylift mm-hmm. tool. Um, I think it's a, one of the really well, very well documented projects. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, okay, so you're pivoting the company, you're changing the code base. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, so uh, walk me through this, like what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, so we are changing the company, we are changing uh, the product and the backend, we can reuse parts uh, thanks to Polylit and how we created it and even like even now, like we are running the, both the old product and the new product uh, side by side from the same Git repository, basically one monorepo with Polylet and several services. But yeah, how was this possible? Uh, we can have a look at that. Uh, I guess uh, like we had about like 50 components uh, when we decided to pivot in our Polylet workspace with well-defined boundaries, etc., single responsibility, you know, all the best things. Uh, and then we just combined those in a different, uh, like, set. And then suddenly we had, a, we had the new service that we can 
publish. So it was actually that easy. Like I didn't need to write so much code to to start a different backend <laughs> service that can serve to this new product. Right. And yeah, um, like can I don't you give know. Some like, examples of like I don't know. Can we just walk through one of the I don't know, examples and components and how does this uh, stitches together? Yeah, definitely. So, like, I can give example. Maybe like these AWS related components I mentioned before. So they are a really good, uh, good example of how a Polylit component could be, because like what Polylit components tell you is like you should have an interface. It's a functional interface, uh, and then you hide the implementation in the component so you can, you know. Like the rest of the code base can only know the interface, and these uh, AWS com services usually have an interface, their API. So I could replicate them in the uh, functional interface and then create those components, and then the new product or any product will need it anyway. Any product I build probably at some point will need how to talk to S3, how to talk to DynamoDB, etc. So those were ready. And then other example could be the authorization and authentication related components. We use them without any modifications because they do the same thing. And yeah, oh, oh, like there are so many examples. For example, like all the integrations, like we had Stripe for payments, Typeform for collecting survey answers, and Slack for like notifying our team when something happens. And I don't know. Uh, like all those integrations we could reuse. Right. Like those components were just doing what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. When you when you say interface in polylift terms, it's uh, we're talking mm -hmm. about the interface, the, the way you define an interface is a function or like a function mm -hmm. name and a set of arguments, right? This is not yes. uh, interface in the Java way where we have the protocols. No. Right. right. No, mm -hmm. no, definitely. It's a, it's a fu functional interface, we call it. Like mm -hmm. it's just... Uh, a set of functions with arguments that they delegate the functionality to the implementation. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the backend. You're able to use those services mm -hmm. because of Polylift on the backend. How about the frontend? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think <laughs> frontend. Uh, first of all, it's a different product, and the like. The frontend completely needs to be trashed, basically. Uh, and yeah, we needed to build it from scratch, the new product. And then there was a good moment uh, when, uh, when we had this Greenfield project in our hand. Uh, we can decide again, like, should we use JavaScript or should we go for ClojureScript? Uh, you might have had some uh, uh, impact on that, <laughs> yeah, Jack, because when you <laughs> shamed me, I had it in my mind. Okay, next time we do this kind of decision, I should check the closure script again. Uh, but also, 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 we had um, I don't know, uh, we had problems with um, with the JavaScript frontend, the the previous product. So, and I thought mm -hmm. maybe we could maybe also overcome those uh, with this mm -hmm. new new frontend. Yeah, can we can we talk about about your problems with the front end in JavaScript? Because I experienced this mm. many times, and I would just like to understand what kind of problems did you hit? Yeah, I think like even though we had this like modern 
uh, I would call, I would say modern uh, React and JavaScript yeah. stack. You know, yeah. with hooks and right. like more functional and right, right, right. everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we also we had it wasn't it was also TypeScript. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We had the types and everything. You know, neat and I see. Yeah, uh, but still, like. Uh, after a while, uh, when we looked at a part of the code, it was so much entangled. Like you mm-hmm. can't follow the code, and then something, some bug happens at some point because some data is some mutable data is changed somewhere in the call stack that you can't mm-hmm. even know. Like which event right. did that? Right, right. So uh, that's the biggest problem. All of the bugs were co- causing because of that, mm-hmm. uh, and then. What could solve that if you think uh, if, if if your problem is mutable data and if there's right. a language that you know that has immutable right. data structures in the core, hmm. I guess that could solve. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, I, I know there's the libraries in JavaScript ecosystem that have the immutable immutability, yeah. the immutable JS and stuff. But yes. if you ever try to use them, you end up understanding it's like every single library has a different interface. You need to call them differently, yes. and then it's just like. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a piece on its own. And uh, what I always yeah. struggled with a lot was uh, the dependencies. And as yes. you said, it was relatively modern. And modern in mm. JavaScript world means probably like a week. Uh, and then yes. it's just not any longer. And this is what I felt. I was just like, oh my God, I cannot yep. just keep up. I, I spend more time managing dependencies than really just yeah. focusing on yeah. writing the code, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and the eco- ecosystem, I think, uh, pushes you towards using more and more uh, libraries rather than writing your own piece of mm-hmm. code. That's mm-hmm. also another thing that whatever you search on Google, you end up with like finding a library that does that. And then yeah. you check the source code of the library. It's just, I don't know, 50 lines. Yeah. You could have write that. And then sure. yeah. you include that library. And then two weeks later, it's a breaking change and it collapses. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Like the whole dependency management was always very difficult, at least for me. I'm sure mm. there are some people that maybe do it better, but mm. um, all right. So the, the front end you decided to use uh, uh, on the front end you decided to go for Closure Script. Uh, so mm. what are you using on the front end from Closure Script ecosystem? Yeah, I think like at that point we were not exactly decided. Like we mm-hmm. were more like experimenting with it. We spent mm-hmm. maybe two, three weeks uh, to to look at different aspects of ClojureScript world. Like, I don't know, first of all, like how do you compile a project? How do you start a project? Uh, which tools are there? You know, I didn't know Shadow CLJS, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I need to learn those. And like, is it easy to use NPM dependencies? Because, right. yeah, I don't like including more like a lot of dependencies, but some of them are crucial that we need to use. Mm-hmm. Is it easy? Or what is how is the development experience? Because with Polylit on the back end, we have a really nice development experience. So can we have that in front end? Uh, mm-hmm. So we looked at those. And also we looked at like how you should structure the code base, which libraries or which frameworks are used commonly uh, mm-hmm. in, in Closure Script world. Mm-hmm. So we looked at those mostly mm-hmm. in the beginning, um, and then yeah, yeah. So uh, after the exploration, uh, what did you yeah. settle down? So we settled down uh, 
first of all, using ClojureScript. <laughs> so we decided sure. on that. We were happy with what we saw. Uh, like for managing the project, we chose Shadow CLJS. I think mm-hmm. it's it's quite, yeah, I don't know, it's very good. Like I'm very happy with it, yeah. uh, enjoying using it. And um, like we have the usual suspects at the center, like Reagent and Reframe. Mm-hmm. And also like with this new product, our front end became the biggest part of the business rather than mm-hmm. the back end. So we spend right. more time here, more business logic is living here. So uh, so we taught, like we started with the regular, like just regular reagent and reframe. And mm-hmm. then after a while, a like couple of weeks, we felt like, okay, we have so much logic here going on. And this one atom uh, application state is like becoming too too much. There's too many things going on there. Right. So what should we do? Then we chose using DataScript mm-hmm. uh, there, since we know how to write data queries anyway. And mm-hmm. uh, and then we glued it to the reframe with using a posh and reposh libraries. I don't know if you know them. Mm-hmm. They're quite nice. No, not really. Uh, yeah. So basically what, what it does is reposh and posh. Uh, it just turns data script into an application state for reagent and then reposh gives you ability mm-hmm. to uh, transact things to the database from the reframe events and also subscribe to data mm-hmm. script with the subscriptions, reframe subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So you just write a query yeah. and then it becomes your subscription. Um, all right, so you're using uh, all of those libraries from ClojureScript ecosystem. Uh, are you using, mm-hmm. or what are the other libraries that you're using apart from the ClojureScript? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mainly fi- Firebase JavaScript SDK, we use it to communicate to Firestore. Um, mm-hmm. And then we use this lovely uh, library called Prosemirror for our rich text editor. And we use mm-hmm. uh, another library called Conva.js to manipulate HTML5 Canvas. So those mm-hmm. are um, JavaScript libraries. And then mm-hmm. we use uh, Stitches, uh, which is a CSS and JS solution for declaring mm-hmm. styles from the ClojureScript mm-hmm. core code. Uh, mm-hmm. And we were like we were able to plug it into our project with the help of a little bit Clojure, uh, not Clojure, Shadow CLJS tricks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I with those tricks, I always find Thomas Heller is very helpful. And yes, once again, yes. thank you, Thomas, for Shadow Seal JS. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we use Shadow CLJS to handle dependencies, build processes, and the development environment, basically running your mm-hmm. Apple. And right. uh, I think Shadow CLJS is another great tool that makes Closure Script environment fun and easy. Mm-hmm. And it is it is very well taught. Like you mm-hmm. might not understand that when you first start using it. It feels mm-hmm. more like okay, you copy paste some configuration and it works magically. But then mm-hmm. when you read all that documentation, I don't know, maybe five times. I, I read it right. maybe five times mm-hmm. <laughs> to 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 get everything. And then uh, then you understand it's very well taught tool. Like it supports mm-hmm. all the needs that you have you might have in the front end world. Like uh, from re- using the existing npm libraries to creating your own like build hooks that you can mm-hmm. manipulate the build process, mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, so I think we, we utilize Shadow.js quite a lot and, mm-hmm. and it makes the project quite clean and neat. Mm-hmm. When you say build hooks, uh, what, do you, mm-hmm. what do you mean? So Shadow CLJS has this uh, build lifecycle. So every mm-hmm. step in the build process uh, is like one of the life cycles. And then you can attach a closure function to each of these uh, build steps mm-hmm. to, to manipulate the process according mm-hmm. to your needs. And what could be those needs? Like what we have is, for example, we have some uh, for different environments we have different uh, environment variables like it's pretty I think standard in most of the projects and we inject those based on the the build that you are running to the mm-hmm. to the code so that's one thing we do with build hooks another thing is like keeping and incrementing a global build number for every release we make mm-hmm. so we attach that and also like we are generating md5 hashes for every asset and uh, I don't know file that we have in the final this this folder mm-hmm. uh, so we do that in a in a build hook as well so we, we leverage the caching etc you know like if, if an image didn't change we don't need to change it's uh, mm-hmm. like it could be cached and also like copying some external files into the build folder we do it during the build hooks mm-hmm. Um, so how 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 all of this comes together uh, in the front end architecture? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think the main combination that deserves maybe a bit explanation is how we use reframe and data script together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the core of the application, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so we use data script to store all the application state in the client side. And mm-hmm. this includes like the data that we fetch from the backend. It is already like we, we fetch it from the atomic, so it's already in a very well shaped for the data script. So we can just inject mm-hmm. it into data script. Right. And then also the data comes from Firestore that also goes into the data script. And uh, so also the local data you might need, I don't know, user clicked something and then you need to store that. So that also stored in the same data script Mm -hmm. uh, database. And then uh, this reposh and posh libraries uh, gives us opportunity to create reframe subscriptions that I can just write a data log query and then Mm -hmm. say this is a subscription. So a, a UI component can subscribe to that query and then when it changes it you know refreshes uh, mm-hmm. that component redraws that component and likewise um, we can transact uh, changes to the data script from a reframe event like it's called transact you just mm-hmm. fire an effect from your event handler mm-hmm. and then it writes to the to the database mm-hmm. so that's the uh, core uh, and we are very strict with our reframe events. I think mm-hmm. that's one thing about reframe. Like, if you don't follow the philosophy of reframe, you mm-hmm. might end up with a quite quite bad uh, code base. Actually, like, mm. I don't know if you are not careful with like keeping the event handlers pure functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes mm-hmm. a mess. I think that was my problem when I first tried Closure Script back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I didn't understand properly. Mm-hmm. 
So, Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think another another thing that you're actually solving with DataScript is the whole uh, atom, right? A lot of people yeah. that I talk to, they're like at one point your UI state map, like the front end map, yes, it just became so big uh, that it was yeah. just hard to handle uh, yeah. a lot of the things. And you also need to be disciplined and, yeah. Mm. Uh, reframe doesn't give you yeah. any restrictions, if you will, uh, on how no. to manage that. So I guess by plugging this into DataScript, uh, it solves yeah. a lot of those problems. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's quite a big like big data we we have. Like when like think about we we are making a knowledge management platform. So right. like for example, our account, like our company account, has more than six hundred documents, like tech documents. Yeah. And all of that data is stored in DataScript now, right. like when you open the application. So if you just use an Atom with a hash map, you need to copy a lot of things to right. be able to access them easily. But then here in that DataScript, you can just reference to the same mm-hmm. data from different places. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people also don't realize this when they think about uh, backend and frontend. There's really a lot of applications that are so frontend heavy, and they require so mm-hmm. much uh, logic. It's just not mm-hmm. you know a simple script that you know you click somewhere and I don't know a validation pops up. It's yeah. the majority of the app is actually the frontend app, right? And you need to yeah. have tools to really manage the complexity on the frontend. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, um, and yeah, also like this. Like the the philosophy of reframe, like these events and effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, like when you understand that, that's a, that's a that's a good good. It was a good learning for me. It's like none of the side effects should happen in the in the event handler. They should yeah. happen in the effects. So right. when you split that, the code becomes clean as well. You can test mm-hmm. those event handlers easily, and then you mm-hmm. can test the effects separately. The more you entangle different parts of the code that have different responsibilities, the harder it becomes to maintain it in the long run. So mm-hmm. we think about that all the time uh, when when we are doing anything with our code base. And the pro- front end application is like you said, like it's a very complex, biggest part of the business at the moment. So we can't risk it making mm-hmm. it entangled. Or mm-hmm. hard to reason about, hard to maintain. We have to move fast as a startup. Right. And in order to achieve that, we also like split our code base into different sections. Like you can think about this, like the front end architecture. Right. Uh, See, we go on the front end, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think I was we. Uh, I, I met Joachim and James was it last week, and then we were discussing about exactly this. Like, how can this like translate into politics, could it be? So we always think about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the moment, what we have uh, is we have these separate sections in our code base. Mm-hmm. And I can walk you through these sections. Sure. Like, uh, first, first part, first section is the components. So mm-hmm. you can think about them are the dummy UI components, mm-hmm. which just takes some props and displays something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are reagent components, basically, and they mm-hmm. also contain the style declarations, the CSS and JS things mm-hmm. in those files. No business logic, just you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever they need to display themselves. Mm-hmm. So they live in one place, and then uh, we have what we call operators, and 
This is the place where all the reframe events and subscription related code lives. Mm-hmm. And we call them operators. James was asking me, like, why did you call them operators? Because he's very yeah. into naming. Uh, we call them operators because they are like, they operate on data. They're like yeah. these, you know, in the old times when you phone called someone, there was an operator connecting you to yeah. someone yeah. else. Yeah. So this is like something like that we thought. And basically, we split those reframe events and subscriptions into separate namespaces based on their domain area. And each domain area has a directory. And within that directory, you have um, usually two namespaces, events and subscriptions. I see. So uh, just as normally in reframe, you would have a component that would have the UI logic and then maybe on the top, Mm -hmm. you would have lead binding where you do subscriptions and maybe Mm -hmm. you would have some functional events. Uh, mm-hmm. In this case, you're just splitting them to uh, like two different things, and the, mm-hmm. the component would always receive something from the operator. Uh, there is another section, the third one, called controller. Con- we call them controllers, which glues the components to the operators. So operators are pure logic for the events and subscriptions. So they are just the declarations of those. And then the controllers. They are uh, namespaces that subscribe to these subscriptions and then uh, they pass that data to the dummy UI components and then they receive the actions, UI actions from the components and then uh, fire or dispatch reframe events. So the controller doesn't contain any UI logic, any display logic. They just glue the UI to the operators. So like a pass-through thing. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you are looking at the controller first, and then from there, like let's say if you're looking for a display thing, then you follow the components and then find that. Or if you are searching for something in the business logic, then then from the controller you go to one or two operators. operators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then cool. apart from all these three, we have the utilities. That's the last maybe section in our architecture which contains uh, namespaces that usually like interact with either another closure script or JavaScript library, you know. Uh, then an example could be our Firebase utility, like it exposes a bunch of closure functions to communicate with Firebase service easily. And then uh, it, it just uses a regular NPM dependency to Firebase, but exposes closure functions. So when you look at our code base, you don't see like JavaScript interop or anything. It just calls some closure function from this Firebase utility. And yeah, I, like these utilities remind me about the Polylet components actually, like they have mm-hmm. a clear right. interface. Yeah, right, right. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the code base that you've been using from the beginning or this is something that you recently switched to? I think we switched to this quite early. Like we first, of course, like I, we looked at your example projects as we were like very beginners, uh, mm-hmm. like maybe a year from now, like in mm-hmm. the back past, uh, very beginner to closure script. And then, um, but we couldn't find like a good setup when the code base becomes bigger, you know, yeah. like for the small projects, I wouldn't, go for this. Like I would just have one event and one subs file right. and then just yeah. put everything there. But we have hundreds of them. So yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, 
we needed that. And then we looked at like different uh, UI um, architectures, you would call it. Like, for example, the model view controller, model view, view model, whatever. Right. So MVVC, MVVM. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We looked at those and then tried to steal some ideas and like how could this uh, right. work. Mm-hmm. And Makes then sense. we ended up with this. Hmm. Right. I mean, I guess model view controller corresponds pretty cl- clearly to component operators and controllers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there anything else apart from like structuring the code base uh, that you look at to make sure that you can like move faster and like mm. you know produce new features and like mm. what are the other parts that you that you have yeah. there? Yeah, I think like this architecture in the front end and like the entire setup with uh, with the closure script libraries, I think it gave us quite good speed and very small number of bugs and happy users, you know, they think it's fast. Uh, I, I didn't thought in the beginning this would be fast because we fetch a lot of data and then run it locally, uh, but it works quite good. Uh, right, but apart also, from, yeah. 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 yeah, also you have the whole canvas thing, right? Uh, yes. Which is always challenging. There is like, if you really have a lot of documents and you need to manage them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was quite good. And like, for example, that canvas library, that's a very OO uh, JavaScript library. Uh, but just using it from closure, uh, like forces you to use in a way that is more functional and more immutable. And then I think you gain performance just because of that. Uh, but apart from the front-end code, uh, definitely using Polit in the back-end, uh, it gives a lot of speed to us. Like we, we experiment with things quite often because someone just tells me, oh, what if we had this? And then I need to try it out. And I can just create a component in my local development environment and then test it locally if it works. Uh, it's just I included one of the existing services. I don't even think like which service should it belong. It doesn't matter at this stage. One of the backend services can have that component. And then it's like, it's very easy, like Lego piece, you know, you're adding one more piece to the right. Lego house. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the front end, I think understanding the reframe philosophy uh, helped us the most, gave us the speed. And yeah, like we, as I said, we spend our almost entire time on this front-end project. So it should be fun and easy to work as well. Uh, I think closure script and like reframe and data script, it gives that. Like I, I, I find it quite fun, for example, to come up with a data log query to query that thing we want for the UI component we are making, for example. So it makes it fun. And yeah, I think this wouldn't be possible without this clear separation of uh, what does what in the front end. And also the coding style that we chose uh, is also helping us. Like we don't try for, or we don't go for fewer lines of code. Like I'm going to write the most... uh, uh, elegant yeah. cl- closure code. It's yeah. it's more one like liners. we are more, yeah, one line. <laughs> no, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, 
so sometimes I look at some code bases that I don't understand anything, and I thought like I spent five, six years using Clojure. Like, how can this be possible? Mm. But it is. Mm. Uh, but we we have more verbose code, uh, very clear, uh, easy to understand, and then the compilers already optimize and obfuscate it enough. I think I don't need right. to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fever fever dependencies. We don't have much dependencies. Um, like I shared with you, all the dependencies we have. It's not I don't know maybe ten or less mm-hmm. uh, dependencies. Right. And um, so, yeah, if you can write a couple of functions, why do you include a dependency? Right, and right. Clojure makes it easy. Maybe in JavaScript you would prefer uh, a library called is odd to check if something is odd. You right. know, a lot of people right, right. use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted, so how big is the team? How many people you're working with? Good question. We are uh, five full-time and mm-hmm. uh, we have three uh, part-time employees. Mm-hmm. And in the coding side, we are only two people. Okay. Are you hiring? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, we are uh, hiring and we are looking for developers who either use Clojure, already love Clojure, or wants to try Clojure or mm-hmm. open-minded enough to uh, try something exciting new. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, we are looking for those people, and we have we don't have separation between like yeah, oh, you are backend, you are frontend, or blah blah. We just take whatever is on the plate and then work on it together. So, uh, and how do you do testing? So the testing, uh, of course, like when you're a small team and uh, fast startup, uh, kind of sometimes you neglect the tests. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think we have enough tests in our code base, like all of our uh, reframe event handlers and effects and subscriptions are tested, mm-hmm. well tested actually. And that is helping us to, to move faster because when I change something, I see immediately, okay, this test failed. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have changed that. Um, so at least the, the, the logic is intact and I'm sure about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apart from that, like we don't have automated tests for the UI components yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's something that we can work on. And like one thing I can mention with the test is we use like generative testing mm-hmm. uh, for like testing some of the queries and uh, you know like just we we use uh, we generate the data uh, a map and then we test it against the query and then put it yeah. into data script and then test the query etc so it's it's pretty powerful and it's very easy to do that in closure without using any external dependencies yeah yeah I, I think this is very nice because like I find testing UIs especially like with any kind of mm. other tools that do really run the browser and do mm. the whole thing it's um yeah, it's really pain after some time. You spend so much time mm. writing those tests, and then you know there's always changes in the UI. You improve things, sure. you move things around, and yeah, it's just very hard to maintain UI tests uh, on the front yeah. end that trigger like the browser environment. And yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I think in it's it's nice. It's okay at the moment to look at it with the eye and then see okay, it's in the right position. <laughs> I right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice library to use there is the reframe test that allows you actually mm-hmm. to run uh, run the tests without the UI. So the only thing that you're not testing is if you're correctly attaching 
the event handler uh, to the specific button. If you're fine with mm -hmm. not attaching them, just imagine everything underneath your canvas uh, is mm -hmm. tested, but it's not, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it doesn't, the only mistake you can make is to attach wrong handler to a button. Yeah. Yeah. But you test yeah, the yeah. whole flow of all of the events, so the whole chain mm -hmm. that needs to go through uh, needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's a really good suggestion. I think we should we should try it out. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, what's next for the company? What's next for Screentel? What's next for you? Um, mm -hmm. What's going on? Yeah, uh, I think me and the company goes together these days like i yeah. i don't have <laughs> my own days and nights it's more like the company all the time so but uh, i think currently we are at a very exciting moment uh, we are recording this in uh in march and we have 17000 people in our waitlist <laughs> and uh uh, we are onboarding new users into product every week and uh, we are receiving really great feedback from the early users and not only their feedback but also looking at the data and like how much they are using the product like daily, weekly, how many hours they are spending. It's, it's very satisfying to look at those numbers. It's very exciting at the moment. And yeah, from the technical side, we have several like upcoming challenges, I would say, uh, we didn't touch upon yet. Uh, like, for example, enabling live collaboration, it's going to be something challenging. And then like we are planning to design an API to enable others to build applications and integrations for our product. So that's also yeah. needs to be well taught, in my opinion, like right, you yeah. might... Uh, end up in a bad place otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. and then growing the team growing the cool. team i think hiring is always a challenge so if you're interested in this kind of tool like mind mapping and knowledge management um, and you're looking for something maybe fresh and new and also written in closure uh, take a look at screentall.com uh, you can join the waitlist and uh, i'm sure the onboarding experience is waiting there for you uh, and if someone would like to reach out to you and talk about anything, uh, Screentel, not Screentel related, mm. what's the best way to find you? Yeah, I think uh, like if anyone wants to discuss me, with me anything that we discussed or poll it or whatever, they can reach out to me uh, on Twitter or through Closure in Slack. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I always have it open. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you can probably put a link to, yeah, to my profile yeah. in the We will include all the show notes in the in the episode yeah mm -hmm. mm. absolutely yeah. well it was great to catch up with you Furkan uh, we yeah. this is another thing that we just sort of like work on together and we did the podcast with James and Joachim then we did the Daytomic mm -hmm. course together and yeah. now this podcast so absolutely a pleasure thanks for uh, listening if you like this podcast so consider supporting it by rating in on yeah, your platform you and telling others about it Again, you can also support it directly <laughs> by buying subscription <laughs> at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below. Mm -hmm.